You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast and our third in the Special Talents Acquisition Series, where we're going to be talking about maintaining culture when growing at scale. We have a panel of industry experts today who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you on this topic. So let's get into the intros. Jazz, over to you. Thanks so much for having me today, Liam. Um, my name's Jazz and I'm the head of people and culture here at Easy Go Gaming. Um, really excited to talk about how you maintain culture as you scale. We've gone on a really interesting journey. Um, we have grown from 20 people to around 100 people recently. Um, so really kind of going through that scaling as we continue to build kind of gaming products. Awesome. Welcome, Jess. Uh, Laura, over to you. Uh, hi, I'm Laura White. I'm the head of talent at Papercut Software. Um, what we do is nowhere near as cool as what Jazz does, but we um, have a, a pretty successful business uh, building print management product. So we're a global product company. We've been around for about 25 years, um, headquartered here in Melbourne, uh, but we're located, uh, have employees located in, in roughly six different countries. And over the past five to six years, we've, we've scaled from 50 employees to 250 employees. Uh, Olga. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Olga Barrett, and I'm leading talent acquisition in the APAC region for Epam Systems. Um, so Epam Systems is an American company. We specialize in service development, digital platform engineering, and product design. We are one of the uh, world's largest manufacturers of custom uh, software, and we employ um, approximately 60,000 people around the world. Our hiring capacity is 2,000 people per month. So here we are. Thanks wow. for having me, Liam. Um, <laughs> excited to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Olga. And, uh, and Julian? Hi, everyone. My name is Julian Yong. Uh, I'm the head of talent for Planet Testing. Uh, so Planet Testing, we're a pure play application testing and quality engineering consultancy. Uh, we've been around for 25 years, um, headquartered in Sydney, but have presence all over Australia, New Zealand, um, in India, in the Philippines and the UK as well. Uh, we've just ticked over actually 1,600 employees globally um, this week. Um, you know, we provide solutions for a whole range of clients um, being a, you know, uh, software testing consultancy um, and deal with high quality system applications and IT architecture for our clients. Awesome. So thanks everyone. Great to have you with us. Um, so today's topic of maintaining culture when growing at scale. Uh, it's a challenge that a lot of tech companies are experiencing currently uh, with so much appetite for and opportunity to scale. Uh, organizations are hiring more and more people into growing teams often resulting in a more diverse workforce, not just in terms of personality and background, but also more varied jobs, skills, and ways of working. So where we wanted to kick off today was discuss how you can create an environment that such a diverse and ever-growing group of people can thrive in. Jazz, this is something that uh, you specifically want to talk about today, so I'll hand it over to you to kick things off. 
Lovely. Thank you so much, Liam. Um, definitely it's something that as we grow from, well, I have grown from 20 people to 95 and now 150 before the end of this year, it's something that's really relevant to us. Um, and I guess some of the things that we've been thinking about recently is and really working on is creating environments that, that different people can thrive in and different personality types um, and looking at, at what individuals need as opposed to kind of the mass collective, which comes with some challenges um, because as a business you also then need to tailor things or have a baseline, right, which it makes it challenging. Um, so I'd love to hear, I guess, whatever it else is doing and, and probably chat a little bit more about kind of how we've been approaching it. And I think from, from, from our perspective, um, working at Evolution as, you know, effectively employee number one and and, and growing, growing it from there, um, your culture um it starts as being defined by the handful of people that you have there and then you tend to you know pies five six and seven not that different from you know three four and five and um and it, and it kind of evolves naturally if you pardon the the, the you know the, the pun on the use of word use of the word evolve but um as it starts to as it starts to grow more and you in our in our case grows different markets different tech stacks different locations um you can't just hire the same people over and over again with the same skills. You're looking for different. Um, you 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 want different people to think. You want people to think differently to to your existing your existing team um, to kind of challenge the way that things are done. And um, and and almost <clears throat> so what we found almost you look back after after a period of time when you've got to maybe ten or fifteen people. You go okay, this is what our culture is now, and it almost happens by accident rather than it being a defined um, you know plan to 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 have that type of culture. I think, you know, we are much smaller scale, certainly than certainly than the the um, um So, you know, I'd be very interested to 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 get people's um, people's thoughts on that um, around how that how do you kind of yeah, how do you how do you how do you create that environment where you can you can support that upfront rather than just kind of looking back one day and going oh this is that culture. Yeah, I think what you said there really touched on for me. Um, if I go back to what, maybe three, four years ago in this business, there was five guys who who were all friends who were working on building a product together. And I think one of the things that we've done particularly well, and, and don't ask me the recipe for it because I don't know, and I, 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 well, I, I think it would come from leadership down, is that there's been this sense of, of mateship or camaraderie and just friendship that really runs through the business that we've managed to maintain up until this point. Um, but again, as we scale, it, it's harder to have, you know, at 40 people when I joined, it was easy to have per personal relationships with everyone. At 95, it's getting more and more tricky. So I've just implemented Culture Amp because I'm no longer having conversations with every person every single week. Um, as opposed to when I first started, I was probably chatting to every person at least once a week, just on around the office and and in different meetings. Yeah, Laura, obviously you, you and I have spoken spoken quite a bit, and um, you regularly talk to talk to me about um, about your the founders of of, of Paypickup and how long the business has been around and how passionate they they are about the business and you know, they're still involved day to day uh, now. How was that? Um, how's that kind of journey been over the last few years to the point where you are you know, the, the the numbers you have now? How has mm -hmm. the culture moved 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 along? Has it been has it been intentional? Has it been you know this is this is where we are now type of approach? Or? 
Yeah, look, our two co-founders, Chris and Matt, really did set out to create a workplace that, you know, that they would enjoy working at. I think the majority of founders do. You talk, Liam, about kind of the just the the accidental culture that you create with those first, you know, dozen or so employees. Um, it really is driven by the values um, of those people and, and how they'd like to experience work or, or be treated at work or the type of relationships they have with their colleagues. Um, and we've definitely undergone our fair share of growing pains and, you know, a a tipping point was around the 150 mark. Um, and it's actually, I believe, quite common um, at that size. So, Jazz, watch out. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> 95 would be a dream. We could still feel much more connected at, at that um, number. But at around the 150 mark, which happened not too long after I joined the business um, just over four years ago, all of a sudden the founders felt quite disconnected from a lot of people, um, decisions that could be made around a table or in a room with the vast majority of the organisation was now impossible. So some of the things that were, you know, really firmly rooted in our culture, like being able to have a say on decisions um, across the business, voice your opinion, provide that feedback directly to those decision makers was beginning to become incredibly difficult. And so the, you know, the other important part of culture, um, not just the type of people that you recruit into the organisation, but how your processes and practices and systems evolve over time. Um, and one of the probably hardest things for us to come to grips with is a growing organisation. And we didn't even grow exceptionally fast, nowhere near the level that jazz is growing in terms of, of speed. But it was, oh my goodness, all of the ways that we have done things now all of a sudden feels like overnight don't work and we had to go back to basics and we're still at that journey at 250 people of feeling like we're implementing foundational foundation level things around decision making or people processes um, or engaging with you know the way that we engage with our customers you know going from white glove level service to having to scale back to find efficiencies and all of those sorts of things so you know I think a big part of a, of a scaling organization is having a lot of empathy for the people because they're going to go through so much change because the way that you conducted your business at the beginning, it just has to evolve, um, you know, kind of uh, constantly from that point forward as you scale. Julian, the, the, um, the, you haven't been with, um, with Planet uh, as long as Laura's been with, um, with Paperclip, for example, but has that been um, something that's come up in your in your time there or something you've got some, some visibility of in your time with, with Planet and how's that, how's that, um, has that been handled? managed yeah so i think i mean first of all i think with all of the guests here today i think we all work for fairly you know like different sizes business so i'm actually really interested first of all to hear about different challenges you know because you, you got jasmine who's you know 40 to 95 and then you've got laura who's around that 250 mark and planet now we have you know 1600 and and we're still trying to figure it out as well to the points that you mentioned you know don't don't automatically think a business of this size have it all figure out and 
obviously keen to hear what Olga has to say, you know, with that sort of scale of the business um, that, that you're in. But I think we're, we're still trying to figure that part out as well. You know, I think for us, obviously, the complexity is, you know, we're a largely hybrid workforce and we have microcultures and subcultures in our employees working at client sites. I mean, most of our employees are working at our client sites and are, you know, wearing our clients uniform so to speak and and you know for us you know so for us it's when we look at building and maintaining culture is you know what does it mean to be a planet employee you know why why still maintain to work for us when they're predominantly working for the clients and they you know mostly report day to day to their clients um so to speak where in most parts they feel part of their clients more than us so it's the grip of trying to maintain that um, and 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 to to evolve and still make people proud to work for us. It's it's a continuous challenge um, for us as well. Although, what's um, what, what's the what's the the situation at, uh, at EPAM in that respect? <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm I'm going to echo all uh, all guests here, and definitely when companies uh, are at the nice kind of startup level and then they scale up and then they go to the enterprise level, it's it's definitely challenging. And as companies expand and new layers of leadership are formed and uh, founders start losing this direct influence uh, over people's behavior, and so it's a natural result of handing these reins of culture over to was a local managers or newly hired managers who bring new culture. Um, basically, that's that's very natural. So, and that's when um, actually companies become a collection of mini cultures. Uh, and when they do, uh, the initial culture set up might just get lost in the noise. So company becomes noisy when people's decisions and behaviors don't align with each other and with the leader strategy. Or the culture. So, and leaders might not even know about it. You know, the founders might not even know about it. And that's where you go to Glassdoor and they see all these whinging reviews. Oh, the culture, the company is not what it <laughs> used to be. Like in my days, you know. It's, so we we went through that. And it's important also to know that this variability is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, because we need an influx and source of innovation with new people and the even conflict is 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 a healthy thing when it's handled uh, in the right way so with the palm back in 2012 which was like yeah 10 years ago we were um anticipating like a really boost of growth and actually the company management spent really significant amounts of time with a consultancy company and we worked out five values and uh, actually, our corporate culture is built around these values. So value the individual, we don't do micromanagement, focus on the customer. So we develop these relationships with customers, so long-term relationships. There are customers with us like which are for 30 years and they're still there. Uh, act as a team. It's always open communication. You always can raise your hand, express your opinion, and just be there. Uh, strive for excellence. It's a learning organization. We learn, 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 like there is non-stop to it and act with integrity. So basically we revamped um, the heaps of processes and programs starting with onboarding, how we assess people, how we reward people, how we do l and um, how we develop the engineering practices, how we mentor people uh, just to walk the talk. Yeah, and of course a huge focus on on management um, development succession planning because managers, leaders, they are essentially uh, ambassadors of culture. Uh, 
if you want to keep culture consistent uh, scale. Uh, because people look at them, uh, leaders communicate and demonstrate uh, the, the culture actually in the organization. And they, um, they reward the behavior, they uh, help people understand how their uh, daily contributions actually connect with organizational culture. Yeah, so that's that's us. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there that <clears throat> um, that resonate um, with how we've kind of approached this um, this challenge of the evolution as well. So we're a um, we're a global company. So we have offices in the head office in the UK, head office in Germany, um, the Nordics region, um, Singapore, Australia, and we opened our first North American office in, in North Carolina this year. Um, so we're we're a global um, a global company that where each individual business. Uh, or each individual location shares this 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 DNA. Um, you know, we all we all work for the for for the same company, the same um, the same values, the same goals. But each local um, business has its own culture, has its own way of doing things, has its own um, uh, innovations. I guess its own um, its own uh, way of approaching the market, approaching the role. Um, how we have gone about that, just kind of answer my own question, um, how we've gone about that over the last, um, what was it, 2017 it was, the last five years. We started the Australian business in 2013. In 2017, we, as a, as a, a kind of global leadership group, we looked at what are the, what are the real values of our business? What are we, what are we you know, us, you know, nine global board members um, see as the as the value, the values of our business and what's our what's our purpose, what's our brand promise, our mission. Um, and we came to a conclusion or some conclusions about what we thought. But rather than saying, okay, we have now decided as the leaders of the business, we have now decided these are our values, what we did is we took that to everybody within the business at that time. So everyone who was um, an employee of Evolution at the, in, in April 2017 um, was given the opportunity to contribute to that. And our um, our three values are um, ambitious, innovative, and collaborative. And they were, you know, they, 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 they you know, what we, we came up with as as leaders was um, you know, consistent with that. Um, but they, those those words were were um, those you know, core values were decided on by the people who worked there at the time. And from that point in time, that was that was like you know ground zero for okay, well, everything beyond that, everything since then, um, how we do uh, how we do our job, who we are, how we how we work, who we work with, how we work with them. Who we hire, who we fire, sometimes um, comes down to those three things: being ambitious, being innovative, being collaborative. Um, and it's actually, you know, I, I think I think values and culture are interchangeable terms. Um, I think culture culture can often be. It can, oh, well, you and I were discussing this the other day. You know, culture can be everything from the core values of the business to have you got a ping pong table, right? So you know, culture can be can be a very ambiguous term. But I think our Certainly, how we've gone about it is to really identify what are our core values, and everyone working working for the business. Do they display these three um, to the point where um, when anyone's getting promoted from one role to another, whether that's from sales, business operations, whatever that might be, um, they deliver a presentation on 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 how they display those three as part of their as part of their promotion criteria. Um, so, um, so yeah, hopefully. Something in there that's that's uh, that's that, that's helpful, um, Julian. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, just to Olga's point and your point as well, Liam. There was a lot that was touched on there, but I I couldn't agree more, particularly with you know pro probably at larger scale and you know where we are in that 
planet at the moment, we are really sort of accepting that there are going to be subcultures and, and microcultures, and we want that diversity. Um, you know, we're actually in the process of revamping our values and EVP um, as a business, and and we're actually doing that via, to your point, Liam. We're actually doing you know large surveys and getting people to contribute what what you know voting the top values and what it means for them. Um, you know, we re we really believe in people you know, our people defining what our values are so that we hold ourselves accountable and it's something that we truly believe in rather than values being set by, you know, people with exec level sitting on a, in a board table and, and deciding that's the value. So, you know, that could not be, be hold more true. And, and the, the things that come out, what we found has been very consistent across the board, um, across what, what, you know, um, the people at our workplace, that what it means for them. Um, so, yeah, couldn't agree more in terms of, you know, um, everyone holding themselves to the same value and we work towards the same values. Um, but we appreciate that there's going to be various diversity of cultures. Um, but as long as, you know, the integrity, the respect, um, the quality and what we take pride in our work, um, Holstead. Laura, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the values discussion is always an interesting one when you're scaling a business because the more people that you add, um, you know, the more open to interpretation values can be. Um, and so, you know, we're definitely at a stage where uh, we our values, which are quite simple, they're caring, honest, intelligent and nimble. So our chin values, we call them. Um, you know, they they really do guide a lot of our decision making and our and our actions and our choices as an organisation. Um, but sometimes, when you are scaling a business, there are decisions that don't feel good, and there are um, you know paths that we have to go down in order to achieve our greater goals or to be ambitious as an organisation that might have your employees questioning whether or not they are values-based decisions. And so I think that, you know, you have to go through the journey kind of like what Julian is doing, um, you know, at Planet at the moment to make sure that your values stay relevant and also be able to have open discussions with people around how the interpretation um, of the values might change over time. And that's where I, I really am a big fan of like behavioral frameworks where you give examples of how you expect your employees to live your values rather than leaving it open to interpretation all of the time. Um, and the other thing that, that I find really interesting in scaling organisations in this current day and age is the impact of um, hybrid working or remote working on the culture as well. And I know that Jazz, um, you know, works from the office full time. All of the employees do. That was a very intentional decision. I'd love to hear more about Jazz. But um, for us, our culture was very deeply connected to the office and we have made the decision to go down the hybrid path and, and we are now, um, you know, in the midst of trying to re-establish or redefine um, probably our culture outside of the office and our values are very much the driver of that, of how do we continue to live our values um, and connect with one another and relate to one another because I think relating to one another at work also it forms a big part of the culture. How do you do that in a hybrid environment? And I'm sure, uh, I mean, Olga spoke about how large the organisation can get and the subcultures and um, Julian's got uh, all of these people at client sites. But in this room, we've got a lot of different experience with how hybrid or remote or in-person work can affect culture as well.
Jazz, the, our, our listeners won't be able to see this, but huge smile on your face right now. So I'm going to come to you next uh, yeah. for, your, for your comment. <laughs> <laughs> you, you touched on something there that I think is, it, it, it's partly deeply personal for me. I hated lockdown. I hated, I hated being locked in my house. Um, and I love coming to the office. And I think when I think about our business and it kind of goes back to what I said before about how it was founded and, and that sense of friendship through um, it's no, it's actually no secret. I hated our on my onboarding experience at easy go um, on my first day. I wanted to resign because I was being re- onboarded remote, remotely. Um, and how do you build those relationships? Your managers, whilst they're onboarding you, they still have their own work to do and you can't see them on Slack to know when can I interrupt them? Am I asking too much? You can't see their face to get that general feel. And I don't think that I have the answers for it because we're in the office doing it a little bit differently, but I can empathize with how hard it was through how much I hated that experience um we do have some flexibility we let people work from home when they need to um I I got sunburnt and couldn't come to work for two weeks because I was very badly sunburnt that's self-inflicted surely that doesn't count (laughs) yeah I'd been at the races um uh, with work though it was a work outing that I got that um but so we, we do have that flexibility there, but we made a decision as such a young scaling business with so many young leaders that we don't have all the processes foundationally in place to be able to support people remotely. And I can't imagine we could scale at the rate we are without the processes that we don't have defined yet with having people remote. Um, so it may change in the future. I don't know. But if I also look at our turnover rate, and this is, I think, one of the things, Laura, I know we've spoken about it and it surprised you. Um, I've been here for nine months now. We've had four people leave. Um, and you have all these talks of the great resignation and all of these kind of things. And I was afraid come back in December when we were going to pay out our annual bonuses. I was like, surely we're going to get a bunch of resignations once we have our bonuses paid. No one left. Um, And I think that does come back to the fact that we have great relationships. Our office is an amazing place to be in. Our founders are so approachable. um, And people here genuinely care about each other that we haven't had that turnover. But I don't know if we could emulate that being remote. Well, I'd I'd love to to come back to that um, that point in a moment around around the leadership. Um, But Olga, there's something you want to add to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Actually, Ipam is. Uh, how we call ourselves, remote by design. So one of the things that we uh, actually helped the company during COVID times, because uh, working from the office has always been semi-optional in the company because there is no micromanagement and there are heaps, and to be honest, sometimes too many systems (laughs) that really help to support this uh, kind of modus operandi. So our transformation uh, from working from office to working from home uh, really, um, you know, it was not that difficult. And actually, um, kind of complementing the the original talent acquisition organization in our company at IPAM, we have IPAM Anywhere. It's an alternative organization that uh, basically hires people all across the world. Uh, there's flexible contracts involved. So if we want, if there are people who want to work for us, like in, I don't know, in Alaska or in Papua New Guinea or wherever we don't have an office yet, uh, it's possible and people work from home. Um, so uh, it works for us. It works for us. 
yeah, I think it, it's certainly, you know, we, we, we have the, the privilege of working with lots of different, um, lots of different companies and lots of different, um, you know, work from home, hybrid, remote, full-time office um, arrangements. And, and I think as long as it works for the organization and there's justification for it, um, you know, why you might want everybody in the office all the time or some of the time or, you know, certain teams together, as long as there's, as long as there's kind of thinking behind it, it makes sense. And it's, it's, there's, 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 the balance of business benefit and and an employee need has been has been met rather than it being oh well look the business says this so we don't care what you think or well all our employees want to work from home so let's, let's let them unless there's a balance of the two then um also assuming there's a balance of the two then i think it i think i think it works well we're obviously all working with different businesses um have different um different approaches to that um to, to to come back to, to to Jazz's point um, around the kind of approachability of uh, of leadership, just to kind of bring the conversation into the, the leadership and exec space. Um, Laura, you and I were talking um, around how <clears throat> in a um, the culture of a growing business can be impacted significantly when new leaders um, or execs come into um, uh, an existing business at at somewhere at some point through that. Um, that growth or scale journey. Mm. Um, do you want to give us a bit more, bit more context on on that? Yeah, and I, I think you know, Olga mentioned something earlier around how basically you distribute your culture through through your leaders um, in the organisation. And when you work for a founder led business, and so much of the cultural, the entire culture is is effectively established by them in the early days. When you get to the point where those founders can't manage the day to day of the entire business, they have to start hiring and therefore empowering other leaders to do it on their behalf. Um, And new leaders bring in different perspectives, new um, ways of thinking. They might propose new ways of working. Um, And I think that that's where uh, for a, a, a scaling business in that early phase, you really start to see some of the biggest um, changes to the culture from, you know, that that beginning culture that was established. Um, and for us, uh, this is definitely something that um, happened uh, over time, uh, that our two co-founders stayed incredibly involved and, you know, were really, really embedded in the day-to-day of the business. And it's actually only been recently, um, and I've watched our CEO go on this journey over, over the past um, four years um, as I've helped him with, with this executive recruitment, uh, that we have brought in people who, who are making a, a huge difference to our culture. And it's come to a little bit of a tipping point in that we have just, and, you know, again, after 25 years doing something for the first time every single week, uh, we have we have just kind of developed our first five-year company strategy. Um, everything prior to this has been a little bit of mix of intentional strategy, a lot of happy accident and good fortune. Um, and so this five-year strategy really does set out some ambitious goals. And I uh, was saying earlier, you know, we're reflecting on, on our values and some of the decisions that we need to make, um, you know, around how we get to these goals, um, the the leaders really do set the tone for what the next five years is going to look like. 
they're setting clearer expectations with their teams, um, you know, that that's going to change the way that people experience working at Papercut and I think, therefore, our culture. And it does really feel like we're at a bit of a point of, um, okay, things are going to change and we just need to decide in ourselves whether or not we're prepared for that change and that we we still, you know, um, feel good about, you know, working at Papercut. And I definitely do. I know a lot of us do, um, but I wouldn't be, um, you know, surprised or I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, think think badly of anyone who maybe reassesses um, whether or not this environment is the one that they they want to be in because we're growing up. And, and I think this is a big transition point for us. And But I'm really proud of our executives and I'm really also looking forward to how it's going to change the lives of our co-founders to have these people in the business who they can trust um, and who they can, you know, hand the reins over to operationally um, to continue to make us a success. Uh, but for a lot of people who have been in the business a long time and we've still got the majority of our first 20 employees, the majority of them are still with us. This is a big change. This is a really big change going from having the founders lead everything to having the founders empower others and, and step away. Yeah, does that, um, is that something that's familiar to you in your, your easygo journey as well? Yeah, I think it's really interesting hearing Laura speak about that because when I look around our business and our leaders, a lot of our leaders have kind of, for lack of a better word, grown up in the business. They've It's been their first, maybe their second job. They've been with us for, for years now and they've worked really hard and they're phenomenal at what they do. Um, I think myself, there's a couple of other people in the business, like our director of operations, who, ha who have joined with other experience, which has implement has started to shift that culture. But we now have just wrapped up a round of recruitment for some other key roles where we are bringing some more senior people into the business that are coming in to set up areas of the business. And it's going to be really interesting to see what change that drives across the business as they get onboarded, as they start to build out their own teams and the ideas and the way that they're used to working and those ideals, I think it's going to be a really interesting journey. Yeah, I think that's it leads us nicely into um, something that Olga and I were discussing um, on one of our uh, one of our calls recently um, around who drives culture. Um, yeah, is it is it the leaders of a business? Is it the employees? Is it um, is it the, you know, the the market or your customers? And I think already just in the conversation we've had, I think we've got examples of all three of those. Um, Julia, you know, you're, you, you you were talking about um, people at, at Planet being as aligned with your clients. Um, cultures as 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 your own because they're working on site with those clients. They were in the, wearing their uniforms effectively. Um, you know the, the the story I told about how Evolution um, uh, developed and, and decided on our um, uh, on our values and therefore our culture was a combination of leadership and employees, but but ultimately the employees. And obviously we're now speaking about 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 leaders. Um, personally, I think there's a it has to be a hybrid of the three. Um, but does anyone have any kind of strong opinions or or, or thoughts on on you know uh, <laughs> perhaps what it's 
is which 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 of which of those three equals is the most equal um you know who gets the final say who gets the casting vote um, which <laughs> which 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 of those communities is um is 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 the, is the real master when it comes to to you know to company value or, or culture it has to be employees as the real ultimate master because they can opt out of if they want if they if the culture doesn't align to them if the values don't align to them they can opt out so i think the real decider on culture is employees but do they have the final say on defining the things that impact culture they don't and so but they still have the final say by the ability to opt in and out to, to um, vote, vote with their feet as it were yeah. <laughs> um i think that employees are executors uh to the point but in my opinion it's leaders it's leaders who are driving the culture and I think that the market also influences the way we operate. And um, like, for example, at Japan, to stay afloat and to continue being successful in our field, we, we need to adapt. And that's where culture becomes a competitive advantage for actually for our clients, our culture. Because clients want solutions faster. They want things bigger, better, faster, more. Yeah. So this means that we often have to operate in the complex environment with a really high level of, of ambiguity. When, like, you know, past situations when the knowledge facilitated control or there were facts and predictable results or no factors, it's all like out of the window. It's it's not there anymore. So, and um, all that creates a different framework and different set of skills that we encourage our leadership team to, you know, um, to have <laughs> to develop yeah because that for example you cannot be right all the time yeah you have to operate in the in situations with really a high level of uncertainty so um at this brings a certain level of humility as well so you have to try you have to learn you have to adapt and uh so we encourage people to make mis to try make mistakes learn from these mistakes and uh and that brings changes even on the organizational level. For example, uh, the formal structure of the org chart doesn't define how people cooperate anymore. So we are like stepping away from that. So we're building this value-based network structure. And what it means is there are like centers of excellence, there are practices, there are internal communities uh, that uh, operate across 43 countries and that, that's how we create uh, basically values. So that encourages people to raise a hand and say, hey, I want to do it. And as Samuel Beckett approach, try again, fail again, fail better. Yeah, learn from your mistakes. And um, that's where uh, this new framework that we are using now, leadership, new leadership framework, what we encourage people to be comes to place. Uh, and that defined by uh, humble, hungry, smart. So basically, it's adapted uh, approach uh, from uh, Patrick Lencioni. Maybe you know him from the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It used to be like super popular some time ago. So the ideal team play approach. Humble, the person who lacks excessive ego uh, or doesn't really uh, have any concerns about the status. They are quick to point out other people's contribution other than, you know, themselves. Hungry. I want to do more. I want to learn more. I want to excel more. That's that type of hunger. And smartness, being smart about people. Read the room. Uh, 
understand these group situations and how to behave them. So that's kind of direct um, outcome of what the market wants from us, what competences we need to develop in our leadership, and how we go around our leadership team and who we hire from the market as leaders. Julian, I'll, um, I'll bring you in there. What are your, uh, you had your hand up. Is that um, something that resonates with you? Yeah, definitely. I think, look, Olga, I think you've summed it up really well. But I think in terms of coming back to the question, you, you could argue it all different ways. And I think that there may not be a one-size-fits-all, a natural answer. I think it also depends on the size of the business and the timing of the business and where and what what stage that you are at as well. You know, I think that when I think of, you know, a business like Planet, you know, being, being you know, 25 years, when it was a founder-led business, you know, it's you know, when I think back back in the days, it was probably driven a lot by the leaders. Um, and then at some point, there is there is a shift where, you know, I think particularly even now, when we look at now, we are, you know, particularly in the tech market, you know, when as we were in talent acquisition, looking at hiring and bringing more people, scaling the business, that we are led a lot by the market. It, it is market driven by the market as well. Um, but I think that, yes, the, the, the cultures are, you know, obviously de determined and, and, and led at the forefront by the leaders, you know, leading by example, but they also executed and driven a lot by the employees. And and if there is a big shift, and particularly here at Planet, that we are giving we are giving the, the power, I suppose, back to the employees to decide, you know, what what are what is the culture, what are the values that we wanna that we wanna agree on and hold ourselves accountable to. Um, so I think it is invariably all of them, um, and at different different stages and different times of the business. But I think you know, for um, you know, for for most of our businesses here, the businesses that we work for, I would say that you know, employees will play a really really big part. Um, in it as well, but it's got to it's it's got to be consistent with all three, um, you know. Otherwise, I don't think it, it can work effectively. Yeah, I agree. I think if there's anything that's any of those three are missing from the um, uh, from the the decision um, on on the, the values of the culture of the business, um, then yeah, it's probably not been as thorough. Uh, a process um, as it could have, as it could have, could have, could and should have been. Uh, Laura, you um, you want to to put something in there? Yeah, um, you know, and I'm glad that Julian said it could be argued a few different ways because I definitely have a, <laughs> have a different point of view. Um, and it relates to the paper cut journey. So you know, I agree. It's not it's not the same everywhere. But um, I I I don't want to downplay the importance of the different processes and practices um, that you put in place in an organisation and how that can really drive or even kind of confirm for your employees what culture you're looking to drive throughout the organisation. Um, and we are undergoing some pretty, you know, substantial, uh, you know, overhaul of our people success practices at Papercut at the moment. And a really important part that, you know, I'm constantly banging on about is how do we want people to feel? Yes, we are designing a process and I'm sure there is plenty of best practice out of there, out there. There's, uh, you know, very shiny products on the market, you know, different platforms that we could implement to take care of these various things like performance reviews or talent management or what have you. But when people experience 
you know, these processes at our company, how will they feel? Um, and, you know, I think that that is a really important thing to keep in mind as you're scaling an organisation because you may go from very easily being able to chat to everyone in the office like Jazz could to all of a sudden having to implement a system uh, to take care of um, gathering feedback or having more structured one-on-ones or capturing expectations in, in a more formal way through the use of goals or KPIs that may have not been required in the past. And I think that if you are a values-driven organisation, you should be having those conversations every time you look to change or implement something new to say, how do we want people to feel and how do we think they will feel if we implement this? Yeah, definitely a valid point. There's, to to, to, to Julian's original point, there's no one way of doing it um that it, you, know, you must follow this um this path and, and and a culture must be determined by these people in this scenario or, or not yeah and, and i think the, the the other thing that um you know is is something that is often said about culture and um, olga was talking about kind of the market forces in intern you know externally to internally but then there's also the way in which your customers experience your brand um from the employees and the way that culture can actually drive your reputation in the market um, and can, you know, really uh, be a make or break uh, for your brand. So if you've got unhappy employees, they're more likely to maybe treat your your customers differently um, and that might bleed through to your external image. Um, So it's definitely, I feel, kind of, you know, goes both ways. Uh, we, we at Paper Cut quite often talk around, you know, happy employees translating to happy customers. That, that's something I, I, I would definitely agree with, um, particularly you know, in relation to what, what we do for you know, as a business. The vast majority of our employees globally are client-facing, um, you know, providing services um, to our, our, our clients. Um, and if we weren't... Um, geared in such a way as to deliver to to uh, deliver those services to those clients in the way that they want them delivered with the outcomes that they want and the experience they want along the way we probably would still would still be here now you know nine years later um or certainly nine years in australia um so um you know i think we we, we looked at, we looked at our, our, our industry as a whole and let's be honest the recruitment industry the tech recruitment industry doesn't have the best um, the best reputation in the world. Let's be honest. Um, so you know, one thing that's very very important to us, and it's actually our um, our, our, our brand promise, um, is that we want to work. We want to you know, we want to um, want to create a great recruitment experience um, for for um, for, our, for our candidates, for our, for our clients, and for our employees. Um, it's it's almost it's, that's our ambition is to deliver a good experience to candidates and clients. And for that to stand out in our industry is, you know, probably says more about our industry than anything else. But, you know, so often, um, I'm sure we've all seen it, right? Um, on, 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 on one or both sides of the fence, um, recruitment and working with a recruitment agency is often seen as a grudge purchase. Um, you know, I didn't enjoy that experience, but they had the person I needed, so I had to work with them. But I never want anyone to say about that, that say that about evolution. Um, and um, I want people to be able to look at, uh, at the, uh, experience, the experience that we deliver, or feel the experience um, that, that, that we're, we're, uh, we're giving them. Again, whether they're not just clients or candidates, but also employees, and say, actually, do you know what? 
English and I like the others. Um, uh, I, I had a, you know, I had a <laughs> had a bad view of recruitment or recruiters before I worked with or for Evolution, and 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 if that's you know, as as people go on about on, on their careers and um if they look back on their on their time of working with evolution or, or you know as being the the shining light in their um in their in their exposure to, to our industry then that that'll do for me. You know <laughs> that's 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 the, the, the big you know the biggest brightest feather I can have in my cap as a you know as a, as a, as a director of a recruitment business. Um Jazz you had a you had a, a point to add there. Yeah, it's interesting because what you said actually 100% trails on from what I was thinking about as Laura was speaking. I think it goes, culture goes beyond how you treat your employees. It goes how you treat people through the recruitment process. And I'm pretty certain all of us are back of this part of the Circle Back initiative that is on this call. And that exists because of the recognition that businesses do lose customers because of horrible recruitment practices, you you know, you don't respond to people or you treat people badly and they're like, well, I'm not going to purchase your product. Olga. Yeah, um, I do agree wholeheartedly. And I think that uh, uh, when uh, this freedom of expression, the flexibility is a part of the culture. Yeah, well, in our case, it's definitely helping. And when um we present ipam to to external market and there's oh 60000 people most probably you all can just stay in corporate but we're not and because basically that's a real um point for us to uh be this agile and have this startup thinking and uh mode of operation when decisions are made fast Nobody is wearing the golden crown. You know, all managers are pretty much kind of hands-on, uh, but also have the corporate stability. Yeah, processes, automation, all these perks that comes with a company, which is like uh, if you um, if you dozen thousand people. Laura, back to you. That was, that was your comments mm-hmm. to your point there. Yeah, look, I think that that's that's kind of the the struggle point for scaling organisations is how do you keep a culture alive whilst putting in processes and automation and efficiencies, which at the end of the day, we know can be a richly positive experience for people because there's clear expectations. They know how to get things done. They know who's making the decisions. They can get, you know, faster answers, um, you know, than having to pull 12 people into a room and let them, you know, fight it out. So for us, that's the journey we're going on now. And, you know, I look to Olga and in awe and go, okay, we would love to be a 60,000 person organization <laughs> who can say things like agile, who can say things like, you know, managers are hands-on, there's fast decision-making, all of that sort of thing. Like that's, I feel like absolutely the thing to aspire to, but there's a huge struggle in between that I just empathise with for so many organisations. And you've got someone like Julian who has to struggle between their own um, cultural evolution and having people on site with with different customers, um, you know, and having that kind of disconnect with their employees versus Jazz who has people in the office the majority of the time. It's like, oh, my goodness, there's so many different ways to to approach culture in a, in a, in a growing organisation um but you know we're all humans at the end of the day so it has to we have to have that human factor 
all yeah. the time. Um, I think that's what it boils down to. Another big, smile on, another big smile on Jazz's face. I'm going to have to come to you for for uh, for, for comment there, Jazz. Yeah, I'm actually just sitting here feeling bad for Julian, um, and I'm pretty sure consultancy as well. And and I say that because I came from consultancy. My last role was in a consultancy where we did do a heap of team augmentation, and it's hard. And I don't. I, I'm not going to be able to sit here and give you a secret recipe, Julian. So, so don't look to me for that because I think there's some things that we implemented that did do some great things, like what Olga was saying around like a center of excellence. Um, we brought in people to help us to manage that culture and, and different ideas, but it was really hard. And I very much am enjoying sitting in a company where I can access people and and not have everyone offsite. But I also think the flip side, and one of the things that we noticed when I was in in a consultancy was it became easier once COVID happened and everyone was hybrid because your team are no longer sitting in your clients' offices, they're sitting in their houses. And it was it's easier to engage with those people who are on site on projects or, or on, on those projects for an hour over their lunch break because you're not trying to bring them back into the office or get them all together places. You can connect easier online. Um, so I actually think that that hybrid or remote working works really well for a consultancy. What do you think, Jane? Yeah, I, well, thanks, Jasmine. I don't don't feel too much sorry for me. That's okay. I, I I'm enjoying the challenge, and that's how I kind of see that. Anyways, um, I think we we um look at planet. We 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 certainly embrace that, right? So we we sort of accept that we're never going to be in the position like you know easy go. You know, it's 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 never going to be like that. In in fact, you know, we have been hybrid for a, a quite a substantial amount of time, even even sort of pre-COVID, to the point where we're actually now sort of on the other end. We're trying to bring it back, and you know, we've just had opened up new offices in Melbourne and Sydney, and we're trying to instill some you know sort of you know, even events and, you know, face-to-face -face events and, you know, inviting our people back and, and you know, looking at more face-to-face -face training and development um, for our teams and, you know, want to get in front of our people and, you know, get our people leads and, you know, start to talk to, talk to people face-to-face -face and do things like that, which is obviously really fun. And I also look at things from a, you know, when we, from a recruitment perspective and the talent teams talking at you know potentially bringing new hires on board as we are scaling you know we are we talk about things that we're proud of you know what what does it mean as i've mentioned before what does it mean to be a planet employee why why come and work for planet um rather than go and work for coles who might be one of our clients for example you know we're proud of for example our, our gender diversity split whereas in australia our general workforce is 52 percent female and 40 percent 48 percent male across the tech industry it's something that we're really proud of you know what does it really mean to come and work for a business as such you know and and, and other under invariably things that i'm sure that every business that you want to sing loud and proud of as well so so i think we sort of embrace that you know with the training and development and all the you know the different perks and benefits of why you you know in terms of your training and development and your career path and your grow and things like internal mobility global mobility as we expand into new regions and new markets you know we've just opened up in the philippines opened up a new office in london all happened this year and we're looking at you know the other further apac markets and european markets next year as well so it's these sort of things that we'll Yes, we talk about culture, but we also talk about how do we attract, you know, as we as we continue to grow, we bring on new people into the business and they they contribute to your added culture and your evolving and changing culture as it is as well. So from a talent acquisition perspective, you know, these are the things that we we sing out we're proud of. And yes, I definitely didn't come here with all the answers. I came here. My number one thing was to learn from you all. Um, and I think that's a that's been a really healthy discussion. And yeah, I'm not expecting to solve solve the world, you know, solve all these issues in, in 
in one day, but it's it's the journey and the challenge and the evolve how we evolve. Um, that's what that's what makes it fun. Olga. Yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, Julian, uh, we're in the same boat pretty much because at the pound we do a fair bit of uh, staff augmentation uh, across the region, and. Um, to maintain a culture of people who are sitting uh, on the on the client side, it's it's extra effort of uh, tons of people, the line managers, resource managers, LND, HR business partners, uh, mentorship communities. So basically, um, I think that if com- if to compare to a product company, but probably our people have to do double work to make sure that people are still engaged, that uh, they feel uh, as part of a palm, uh, not just a part of like different ecosystem. Yeah. So they are, they are excited, they are challenged, uh, they're developing and we're there to support them. Yeah. So I feel, I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, Laura, I might just come back to you just to, um, to, to, to bring us home and, and, and finish it off. To bring it home and finish it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had your uh, hand up, so you've usually got some some uh, some wisdom uh, for me in every one of our conversations yeah, previously. So. Unfortunately, my <laughs> hand was up from before and I just forgot to put it down. But, um, <laughs> um, no, I, I think that um, I've definitely... Uh, learn a lot from the discussion today and and you know Olga you're you're my new um you know <laughs> benchmark to aspire to in terms of um an organization who you're very kind is, <laughs> you're is, too kind is, is large but very clearly still very much focused on culture and and culture um you know driving the ways of working right which as you're scaling is going to be top of mind for every leader um, and every employee is going to experience a change in in the ways of working um, so you know for for us at papercut it's it's spoken about on on a daily basis and and we have to speak to other businesses to learn you know what what they're doing and and what they've been through before us um, because I I don't think that any business has a truly unique experience when it comes to cultural level evolution um definitely at scale yeah i definitely echo that i think um you know the um the conversation we've had today is is um look we all i guess we all know we're all we're all experiencing the same or similar challenges in 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 completely different ways in different organizations of different sizes different industries um but that challenge is still is still shared and it's been eye-opening for me to um to hear how companies or how certainly your companies have have gone about this slightly differently but all with exactly the same goal in mind um and even though there's you know no of, of the five of us no two people have, have gone through all those two companies have gone through it the same way but we've all kind of found our way of doing it or a way that works for us and certainly there's some things that have been talked about today that um you know resonate with me that i can i can take back and and, and look at um, how we can apply those, um, you know, techniques or or, or, or processes to um, to evolution as well for you know for the, the betterment of our our values and our culture and our organisation. So, um, just want to thank everybody for for your time today. Yeah, we're we're all we're all incredibly busy. I don't know 
and when the last time I spoke to anyone who wasn't incredibly busy in any walk of life. Um, so for you to have um, all have taken the taken the time out of your day today to, to, to speak to us um, about this has been um, has been awesome. So thank you very much indeed. Um, and yeah, hopefully our listeners um, will have taken something uh, from this they can implement as well for the betterment of their own businesses. So thank you very much, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you all again very soon.